Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the sponsors that make this episode possible. On this show, we talk all about the human side of Web3 and the philosophy of Web3, but when you're ready to get your hands dirty, Rabbit Hole is the place to go. Rabbit Hole curates all of the wildness of Web3 into one simple place where users can go to be directed towards positive sum protocols and build their skill set as they do it. In this episode, we talk about DAOs, and Rabbit Hole has an intro to DAOs skill that guides you through all of the basic tools you need to know in order to be a DAO contributor. You can check it out at rabbithole.gg. Thank you, Rabbit Hole, for sponsoring On the Other Side. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Stefan Delavaux from the DAOs, also working on the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance. Stefan, I'm so excited to chat. Thank you for coming on the show. I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. This is actually my favorite podcast. So this is kind of Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) I appreciate that. And the little secret is that Stefan and I have already recorded a podcast, but we got rugged, which Which always happens. Always happens to Stefan. I've never been on a Twitter space where he has not at one moment gotten rugged. And apparently podcasts are the same way. So We've gotten past that, Stefan. I'm so excited to chat again. Before we dive into the ecology of DAOs, which is a piece that you wrote for the DAOists that I'm so excited about, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole, and what you're working on and thinking about? Sure. I'll give you the short version. Uh, so my background is economics. Uh, I worked in finance for a bit around like maybe 2011, 2012, I got really interested in fintech um, because I saw what was happening there. I was like, oh, this is kind of, you know, a a new evolution of finance that'll make things just a lot easier for everybody. And then as I kind of fell down that rabbit hole and continued in that space until like 2015, I realized, you know what, this this isn't working because fintech is great, but it also is still fully connected to the traditional financial system. And it doesn't really work for the global south. So, for example, Venmo, Cash App, just the easy apps that a lot of people use, we don't really have access to those at all, like in the Caribbean, for example. So around that same time, between 2015 and 2016, I started paying attention to blockchain in general. I kind of heard about, you know, I, I'd followed crypto a little bit, but didn't really get much involved. But when I started to understand the tech itself, that's when I realized, you know, this is, <laughs> this is the real evolution of financial technology, but it's not just finance, it's like economics in general. So it's more e-contact than fintech. So maybe around like end of 2016, I f- met up with some people who were already kind of in the space from Barbados and we kind of built a little community and called it the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance. So from then that kind of expanded into a full nonprofit. So so the Caribbean Blockchain Alliance is a nonprofit. Um, we're focused on blockchain adoption in the Caribbean region. Uh, mainly through education and also through public policy. So that's where my focus has been pretty much the last few years. Um, And then from there, played around during DeFi summer, the one time I did not get rugged, Uh, then fell into NFTs, started collecting (laughs) NFTs around maybe August, September 2020. And then a few months later, I got really into DAO. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole in each step. So then 
started working with the Taoists where I run comms now. And yeah, it's been a fun journey, like a really fun journey. It's so cool because when you talk about this evolution of understanding from thinking that crypto was fintech to thinking that it's more like econ tech where we have these economies, I feel like the latest evolution, at least from looking at what you've written with the Taoist and thinking about DAOs as this ecology is almost saying, okay, we were in the fintech era. Now I think the best model is econ tech. And now it's almost ecology tech, not in the sense of like traditional environmentalist movements or anything like that, but specifically thinking about the mental models that we're using for Web3 and really starting to think about how like nature is almost a better model than economies, which I think is so fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about where some of that came from? Maybe first talking a bit about the piece around what DAO ecology is, and then maybe we can dive into where that model came from. Sure. So the piece itself, it's on mirror. It's basically about the ecosystem of how DAOs are now and what it could look like in the future. For those who don't know, ecology is basically the study of ecosystems, uh, especially organic communities, plants, animals, habitats, and how they interact and how they intersect for the most part. And the idea really is combining that idea of ecology Plus the idea that, you know, DAOs are a completely new way to to interact with each other, to do work. And a lot of the times we kind of fall into, I guess, I guess it's schemorphism where we're talking about DAOs as if they're traditional businesses. We use a lot of the same language. We, we kind of look for those interactions. But if this is a new paradigm, if this is something different, then we need to talk about it in a different way. So... For me, I definitely see DAOs, especially the future of DAOs, as more organic communities, as organisms, as as actual habitats. So I, the, the entire piece is basically putting those things together. I love that because I think sometimes using things that we understand from the real, real world and taking these more skeuomorphic approaches to understanding Web3 can be useful in the sense that it's like, okay, we need some grounding in what's happening. But what I love about the concept of an ecology is that it really pushes us outside of that to think on a way broader scale in a way that I almost wish companies did where it's like you can still hold it feels like this company mental model for DAOs where you're like yes DAOs are like companies or co-ops or whatever it might be while also thinking of them in this broader context and i think that's really cool because it feels like there's this complementary relationship between these models like it doesn't right. feel like it's super against what these models are. So I absolutely love that. And I think one of the things that's most interesting to me that I've been thinking about is this thought around like private equity, mergers and acquisitions, how DAOs engage with each other. Like it feels like DAO to DAO 
is something that's really big that's coming up. I know that's something you've thought a lot about. And I think you you bring up an interesting model in this piece around how we can think about Dow to Dow. So first, maybe do you want to give like a brief overview of what Dow to Dow actually means? And then we can talk about where Dow to Dow fits in this ecology mental model. For sure. So Dow to Dow is something that I'm absolutely obsessed with. I've probably tweeted about it more than 50 times already. Um, (laughs) But it's basically the idea of DAOs typically become these amazing communities. But a lot of the time, and you do have some interaction, but a lot of the time these DAOs are built and, and organized in silos where everything is internal. There isn't too much interaction, too much collaboration. So the idea between the, the idea of Dao to Dao is expanding these communities to interact with each other more and collaborate with each other more. And even to the point where it's not just small scale interaction, it's actually not necessarily combining, but at the very least proper collaboration, whether it's like with token swaps or shared liquidity pools or maybe Dao joint ventures, but to the point where these DAOs are actually connected to each other in some way. And that obviously ties to ecology because in plant and animal communities, there's a lot of actual interaction, sometimes even collaboration, that has a lot of impact to the surrounding environment. And I do talk about this in an article too, where if someone talks about B2B, it means business to business. It usually surrounds like sales, uh, selling products to somebody. So when someone says D to D, which is Dow to Dow, the first thought is, oh, it's it's like B to B, but it, it's really not. It's actually an, a completely new way to, to interact and, and collaborate in a very composable way. So instead of selling something to someone, you can actually do, again, token swaps, which, which isn't a sale. It's actually just a, a deeper way of connecting to this other Dow because now with token swaps, you become basically part of each other in a way that's actually, I guess financial is the best way to put it, but it, it incentivizes you to support each other, to work with each other, to grow together. And that, of course, that goes into some of the language of ecology and horticulture and things like that, that I know we're going to get into later. But where all of this came from basically was, so my background is economics, like I said, and I've all, because of that, I've always thought about things in terms of proper I guess, ecosystems and, and factors and how many things constitute an ecosystem and environment, a community, et cetera. So in that way, economics and ecology are actually pretty similar because both of them take a very broad, wide scale macro focus. Yeah, I love that way of framing things because it feels like when we can move into this space of thinking about a lot of these things in the context of more natural systems, we don't have to deal with all of the baggage from the financial system. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, so much of this comes down to the idea that if we want to recreate better systems, we need to both look back and understand like what's gone wrong in those systems and what's worked well, but then also I think find sources for inspiration. And so I love this as a source for inspiration, even as like a potential cautionary tale. Like what does it look like when you have invasive you know, species that start to come in and like sort of take over spaces, which I think is one of those things where it's like, 
in markets, you kind of see that, but not totally. And so I, I do kind of wonder if there are other cautionary tales in the ecology analogy as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting part, especially with invasive species, which is super interesting to think about. And really, it, it just means, you know, a, a species or type of animal or plant that gets placed into an environment that they're not native to. And because they don't have any proper predators, they end up multiplying very quickly and maybe, you know, completely disrupting the the ecology that they're now in. So if you think about that in terms of DAOs, it's something that, you know, I haven't fleshed the thought out yet, but it's like, what happens when a DAO that's become too big, for example, and isn't doing anything, <laughs> eventually continues to accumulate resources, but basically accumulates resources and then doesn't do anything with it or disrupts other things that are happening. But I mean, I think that'll be interesting to follow just in terms of that idea. But something that I think about a lot, actually, and, and Numa, who wrote the article with me, we had a really good conversation about this. If you talk about too big to fail, right, which is a very charged phrase for, for great reason, because it was largely the reason why there was a financial crisis to begin with. Um, and it's this idea of, in, in, in that context, at least, these banks that were so big and so ingrained in every aspect of the economy, that if that bank failed, then literally everything else would be affected and disrupted. So <laughs> it got to the point where it, it they, they had to be bailed out because if they weren't bailed out, um, there would be kind of chaos and collapse in, in a lot of different ways. And the fact that that even had to happen is obviously terrible because we can talk about like concentration of capital and, and level of monopoly and all that kind of stuff. But with DAOs, it's actually really interesting because if you create an ecology of DAOs, right? If you combine all these different DAOs together, whether it's through token ownership or combination of ownership between DAOs, all these kind of different things where DAOs are combining and collecting and, and working and growing together, you kind of create not a too big to fail ecology of DAOs, but kind of maybe kind of an inverse of that. Because now we have all these DAOs that are connected to each other, including financially, but there can't be any risk of contagion between like if one DAO fails, because even though they're all connected, it is much easier to say, transfer resources, transfer manpower, move things from one DAO to the other because they're now so connected. Uh, all, all it takes is a Uniswap trade, right? So the, the, the entire risk of contagion, the entire risk of collapse has been mitigated simply because of the nature of DAOs. You can easily move something from one failing DAO to another. And now you have this kind of resurgence of these communities because we've transferred something from something that was failing to something that can now improve, really. It's interesting because I... I do almost wonder when you think about it at a very like basic level, I think it feels like what you're talking about is the ability to easily move resources within a system between different players in that system. And it does kind of make me wonder when things do go bad, which they will like in the market. And to me, when I say bad, I just mean prices go down, amount of capital in this market goes down. I do wonder if we're going to see 
because things are so liquid, the centralization of resources back into a smaller group of organizations because they're considered more safe or winners. Like a great example of this is in a bull market, you have so many different organizations popping up. It's much easier to get funding for those organizations because capital is abundant. And so capital moves pretty smoothly throughout the system. Whereas when you are in a bear market, you tend to have a lot of that capital drying up. And so the capital that is left is in a much, much smaller group of organizations. And so I do wonder, like when we think about this Dow ecology sort of analogy in the context of moving resources, when things dry up, who holds the the bag? Like who's who's holding the majority of resources? And I kind of wonder if that will change as we have a, an evolving environment. No, that's a really great question. I think that's definitely going to be a challenge. I mean, especially in bear markets, like there's absolutely going to be consolidation more you know, quote unquote acquisition of some kind. Honestly, at the end of the day, capital is a centralizing force, no matter what tools you're using, no matter what system you're in. So there's always, no matter what, going to be that issue. But I do think, again, it it is slightly mitigated because uh, you've seen how people interact in Dallas. You've seen how people interact in the space. Even if, let's just say tomorrow, all the Dallas fail and everything moves to, you know, one of the large Dallas, like Index Co-op, for example. So now... And Exco Up has all the funds and everything, but the next day, you know, 10 more DAOs will pop up and a lot of those funds will transfer out. So I think that easy transfer could make for temporary centralization, but I don't think it would make for long-term centralization. I think there would definitely be so many pushes to, because all we do is experimentation, right? So there's going to be kind of this negative outlook in terms of, oh, this is now cent- this is centralization of resources. But we don't want that long term. I, I think in general, the space would really push against that um, just in terms of interacting with with how the space is right now, at, at the very least. I don't think that would last too long because there's just so many different things to try, so many things to do. So I think there would be, at the very least, regular disbursements outwards to do different things. So it's not something I think would be a problem, at least long term. That totally makes sense. And I also think if token holders are decentralized, I don't know, there's probably an interesting question where like we're talking a level of abstraction above what ecologies are. So there's there's interesting stuff there. But what I love about this idea even of resources moving through, and you and I have talked about this, is you you start to think about what does the death of an organization look like in this type of environment where Traditionally, an organization would be entrenched. You have shareholders who I think are it's much harder to, and we see a lot less, companies that are currently public and very large get acquired. Um, it, it's just an interesting dynamic versus what we're seeing in the DAO ecosystem where organizations that have tokens and are owned by their communities are being kind of acquired, doing mergers. Some of them are dissolving. Some of them are not. But I want to talk about how you see death playing a role in the ecology of DAOs and what that looks like. 
yeah, it's <laughs> this is this is a favorite topic, right? And this is something that I think we don't talk about enough in the space. And that obviously comes from like business culture of wanting to continue expanding, wanting to continue growing. And at the same time, you know, the idea of failure still having a negative connotation to it. So if you want to think fully about ecology, then death is a natural part of it, right? Death also creates the the space and the ability for new life. So if you look at DAOs, I mean, even if you think about, you know, a DAO is formed and then sets out to do something, they're not able to do it. What happens now? That question always comes up. Or even just they are able to to do what they set out to do, but they don't want to do anything else or they don't plan to do anything else. What happens now? Do, do they just shut down? Do they pivot and do something else? There's always this question. And because of that, you end up having a lot of DAOs that are kind of just in limbo or kind of just stagnant and not doing anything else because they're, they're in the spot of not knowing what to do next. And I think we do need to be more comfortable with the idea of allowing DAOs to die. <laughs> because honestly, if you think about it, it just becomes a sink of resources and a sink of people that are trying to push for something that may not um, eventually happen. And at the same time, those people and those resources could be going to different projects, different DAOs, et cetera. And I think the the idea of DAO to DAO actually helps with this because if you have more DAOs that are fully connected to each other, then that could actually in, much better incentivize people to say, okay, let's let's shut this down. Let's move all these tokens to a different DAO. We can you know, put it into USDC, put it into ETH or, or what have you, and kind of add to these other communities, add to these other DAOs, disperse these resources in a way that's helpful to everything else or everyone else, even if this DAO itself is failing. So I think those greater connections, those deeper connections will actually ease the process of DAO death and like <laughs> what to do after DAO death. And that also increases, you know, th this idea of biodiversity, because now we're, we're shooting things out, we're shooting resources out everywhere else and, and instead of collecting them in one place where it's not doing anything. Yeah. And I think the cool part about this is not only does it help the ecosystem evolve faster, but it also takes this very holistic approach to your point about looking at the entire ecosystem and being a stakeholder in the entire ecosystem rather than only in one project, which I think in practice tends to be a little bit harder at times because you have token holders of a specific community where, you know, certain percentage of their portfolios in that token. What I think this starts to open up the conversation around is like really tactically getting into when it is time to shut something down. And I think that's probably a whole other conversation. But I am really interested to see what ends up happening because I do think oftentimes communities just sort of lose steam and the core contributors or core team decide to shut down a project. And I think that's probably okay. But I totally agree that having more open and honest conversations about what that could look like feels like an important part of this. And honestly, part of that is even just within a DAO. Like when we think about grafting and this concept of ecology, I don't think it's this big DAO has to shut down. I think it can also be we're doing this initiative within this DAO that's not working or that isn't really doing what it set out to do. And so let's talk about how we sunset that project. So I think it brings up all kinds of interesting conversations. And I know 
also there's like probably a conversation to be had about just not giving resources to a group. But I kind of feel like having more open and honest conversations is also the other part of this because just expecting, you know, the market to fix it is not ideal. I think a lot of it depends on two lanes and a lot of it, a lot of this will come from two lanes because if, if something is hard to do, it's just not going to get done for the most part. But if you make something really easy to do, like for example, the reason I became so obsessed with Dow to Dow in the first place was largely because of interacting with Prime Dow, right? Because they're they're building Prime Deals, which is largely focused around Dow to Dow tooling and infrastructure. So I think if there are tools for say things like that, but also maybe tools to make it much easier to not only rage quit as an individual, but maybe rage quit as a community, which is something I'm I'm thinking about a lot. Um, just make it easier to do these transfers of resources. The problem becomes much less of a problem; it becomes much easier to do. And I, I definitely think we just need we just need a DAO composter that's going to solve all the problems. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what's cool too. Is you and I talked about this. What does it look like to instead of framing something as death, frame it as recycling or composting. And that feels a lot better because it's not just saying we're going to throw this out or this is going to never exist again. But instead, it feels like a way for that resource or mission or value set to evolve into something else that could be really beautiful. So I love that framing. I wish we talked more about a lot of these things through that lens instead of this like, you know, either you succeed or you don't lens because that doesn't feel super healthy. Exactly. Especially in the ecology perspective because it's not like an entire ecology succeeds or it doesn't. A lot of these things ultimately come down to balance and that's something that we – it's just not in like a – nuanced way going to come across in a lot of the Twitter discourse, but it does feel like that's one of the important parts. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It could be an ERC-20, an NFT, anything, but what is your favorite thing in your wallet? Ooh. Uh, to be honest, for me, my favorite thing is definitely the first NFT I ever purchased, which was an old people pleaser that I bought on Rarible and like I think it was either August or September 2020. Um, still have it. I, I'll probably never sell it. But it's actually it's actually special to me because it's my first. And then at the same time, being able to watch People Pleaser like blow up in the last year has been nothing short of incredible. So it definitely means a lot to me. I hope you have that on a ledger, my friend, because that's like <laughs> having a, a Van Gogh. That's super cool. I love that. Um, Stefan, where can people find you? I will make sure to link your ecology piece, but where can people find you on the internet? Sure. I am on Twitter way too much at Steph Delev, S-T-E-F-D-E-L-E-V. Um, you can also check out Caribbean Blockchain Alliance uh, at cbahub.org. Uh, th- those are the main two places you can find me, either... Um, either on Twitter or you can interact with with the website and like reach out to me via email or whatnot. Beautiful. Stefan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to chat. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.